Hello and welcome to the Flix Forum podcast, where each episode we go back and we look at a Netflix original film in the order of release. Today we are looking at Netflix's 135th film. I almost uh, lost count of how far we've gone. This is the 2019 satirical horror thriller Velvet Buzzsaw. This is directed by Dan Gilroy. It stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Renee Russo, Tony Collette, Zor Ashton, Tom Sturridge, Natalia Dyer, David Diggs, Billy Magnuson, and John Malkovich. I am Jesse, and I am here to give you a spoiler-filled episode on this film. So, if you haven't seen this film, please give us a pause. Come back a bit later on, because... Um, it's going to be very hard to talk about this one without giving away the whole story, but I will give it a shot with my fast flicks, just a, a brief uh, summary of this film, which to me, it, this is about the work of a dead artist, and this art makes it difficult or makes life difficult for those who interact with it, and that's where we're going to kick off this show, and please do give us a pause, um, otherwise I'm going to talk a little bit about how this film was put together, a little bit of the history and the, the development of this idea, and um, I guess it, it's loosely based on or, or resembles the life of an artist called Henry Darger, um, who was a reclusive, um, created this huge volume of artistic work, um, and, and his life of art was celebrated after his death. And um, he did too spend some time in an asylum, um, which is a bit like the, the artist um, Dees that we, we see in this film. Um, Dan Gilroy, the director, he, he came up with this idea for the film after visiting the Dia Contemporary Art Gallery in Beacon, New York in 2017. And hours after visiting the museum, um, popped up, or the gallery came up with a, a rough idea of the plot. And in an interview, he said that it was the Tuesday after Christmas at about five o'clock in the afternoon, and there was no one there at the gallery. He was wandering around this huge, empty warehouse with all this rather disturbing contemporary art. He wound up in the basement in his video installation with like a dentist chair, rats running around, and he, he thought, man, this would be a great place for a horror movie. The idea that artists invest their souls into their work, and it's more than a commodity, and, and that always has interested Dan Gilroy. He saw a way of incorporating it all to explore how, when, art and commerce are dangerously out of balance, bad things can happen. And this whole idea clicked very quickly. Um, he also mentioned that the inspiration for putting together this, the themes and the ideas of Velvet Buzzsaw came about when uh, Warner Brothers cancelled Tim Burton's Superman Lives film um, just a few weeks before it was um, about to, to film. And there's a lot of back history and a, and a good story about this actual film, a lot of podcasts and, and um, documentaries on this, this actual story of this Tim Burton film. And it was meant to be a reboot of the Clark Kent character. Nicolas Cage was meant to play Superman. And this was actually based on a screenplay that Dan Gilroy wrote. Um, so he was really, like, he was crushed that um, this piece of work or this art almost that he'd written would never be seen um, because some studios at Warner, or some studio executives at, at Warner Brothers only cared about its budget and how much money the film would make. And, and this is the idea that we, we see throughout this film. So it's a very personal film for Dan Gilroy. Um, and he also did, there's a little bit of commentary on why he selected Netflix to, to be the distributor for this film. And he said that when he was trying to decide whether or not to go with Netflix, he went online and there was this story there that he read about someone saying, you know, Netflix is going to destroy the theatrical experience. And there were like 50 comments that followed and they're all like, oh, you know, you must live in LA or New York because, um, you know, we don't get to see the movies that are shown there in other places. And then he realized that, you know, Netflix has this democratized ability to um, alter the film going experience for, for more people to see films. And as a storyteller, Dan Gilroy, he just wants people to see the film. So he said that um, he loved the idea 
um, of seeing his films in like IMAX and, and theaters with perfect sound. Um, but you know, that's not always going to happen. So the idea of, um, two or four people sitting together on the couch, watching a film, um, that's fine with him if it means more people can see his film. And that, that's a common, common story that, or narrative that we hear from a lot of directors who work with Netflix. Um, like we've mentioned in this, there is a lot of art in this film and, to, to have all this art, they actually created over a hundred pieces of, of original art. And, and Dan Geroy put these into two categories. He said that um, there's the art of this deceased artist that the film follows, uh, Vetral Dees, and they created this body of work for him. And then they also needed like all the art that surrounds his art in the galleries and people's houses um, and those types of things. So they, they hired artists to create um, all this, this work. And obviously quite a lot of effort went into all of that because there are quite a lot of uh, pieces of art throughout this film. One other thing that I do like to pick up on is uh, the translation of the title across the world. So in, um, obviously the, the title in English is Velvet Buzzsaw and we might talk a little bit later about the, the significance of that title, but in Brazil it's called All Art is Dangerous. In uh, the French speaking part of Canada, it's called The Art of Killing. In Germany, it's called The Art of a Dead Man. And in Vietnam, it's called Ghost Painting. So these titles all give a bit more um, context to the actual film than Velvet Buzzsaw because Velvet Buzzsaw, uh, and I'll spoil it here, I guess, is, is a very, um, it's the name of a band that one of the, the main characters was a part of and, and it sort of um, has a bit of a connection towards the end, which we might talk about a bit later on. Um, consensus, some consensus for this one. Rotten Tomatoes. Has it at 61%, so it is fresh. It's on 190 reviews, but not, not in the high um, reaches of, of where it could be fresh. Audience had it a lot lower at 35%, and that's on over a 1,000 views. And and the rest of the, the um, I guess, film um, catalogs of, of people's thoughts, IMDb, 55,000 people have logged this at a 5.7 out of 10, and on Letterboxd, 88,200 and so people have given this a 2.4 um, average on Letterboxd. So uh, this did premiere at Sundance, 27th of January, 2019. Um, then the next day it had a premiere in LA before it hit Netflix on the 1st of Feb, filmed across California in America as well. It had one win um, in awards. So um, it did have three nominations. The, the one it did win was for at the Newport Beach Film Festival for the Brit to watch for Zor Ashton or Zori Ashton. So she plays um, Josephina in this film. It was also nominated for Best Original Score at the Golden Trailer Awards and for Best Streaming Premiere at the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. Netflix match. It's been a while since I've had a Netflix match where at an 82% match, and I mentioned at the end of our last episode, I, ha I have seen this film. Um, I am a huge fan of Nightcrawler. Um, the other film or one of the other films directed by Dan Gilroy um, also stars Jake Gyllenhaal and Rene Russo or Russo um, so I, I did enjoy this the the first time that I saw this I guess this is a, a good spot to, to jump into my early thoughts looking at it a second time obviously uh, a lot of the I, I watched this when it came out pretty much the weekend it came out I watched it and a lot of the scenes and a lot of the characters and a lot of the ideas of this film uh, still in my mind they they didn't leave um and i remember this film quite well so i think that taking away early from this one is that it is a bit of a horror film and, and some of the horror elements in this may let it down a little bit because they're nothing too new and they're not exceptionally well done 
but they do a good job of playing on this idea of, of greed and, and personal advancement through this art world. And it sort of leaves you with something to take out of this one. So that's where we're heading with this one because I am going to jump into the characters and, and there are a lot of characters. There's, this is a big cast. There's a lot of big names in this. I'm not going to talk about everyone, but we'll start with Morph van der Walt, who's um, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. And he's this art critic or is reviewer of art. And he, it opens, he has this relationship with um, this character, Ed, and he's looking to get out of it. He's very happy to end this relationship. And you see this through his connection with, um, or reconnection with Josephina. Um, he's very, very cocky. He, he loves himself. Uh, you know, he talks about, you know, keeping his body in pristine condition because he does Pilates and, and he does like every character in this film has some side of greed towards them almost. And he wants a part of this, um, this deceased artist's artwork so he can have exclusive rights on a book that he can write about, you know, like a catalog of his work. And, and that's his um, part into, I guess, this, this art world of, of um, Dece. And he, he does think very highly of himself. He thinks he's intelligent, but towards the end, you also see that he does start, or he's, he cares for others, I guess. And he wants to make sure that not everyone gets into trouble. And I guess um, out of, <laughs> this is a big spot, out of everyone in this film, he is the only character that isn't killed by a piece of Deese's work. Um, everyone else is 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 killed by a piece of um, artwork by Deese. And it's interesting just to think, like, what does this actually say about him as a character and, and art in general? Like, he's more of a traditionalist. And, and there was mention, I think, that, you know, in, in the film, he has a flip phone, like an old school flip phone. And, and Jake Gyllenhaal made this... this um, this, this choice as a as an actor when he said to Dan Gilroy you know I want this phone to show that you know this character is he loves art and he loves you know the the basics and the old things he's not too revolutionary and he's not too into the new things so I think that was a really interesting choice to to put that into his hands um the next person I'll talk about is Redora Hayes um played by Rene Russo so this is where that velvet buzzsaw um you know, it was the name of this punk band that she was in, and and she's not a very nice person at all. She's only into everything for money. Um, she's happy to work others over for her own gain, and you know, you see this multiple times. Someone dies, and all she's worried about is is has art survived? Where's this art? Where where can we make some money? Where can we, you know, track down where this art that she takes ownership over? Where's it gone? Um, there is a scene though where she does look out for this character Pierre. Um, you know, this old school artist who's struggled throughout um, his career and, and obviously she has a connection with him because she's like telling him you know it's time to get away from the city time to to take a break and that is that one nice thing that we see her do because leading into Josephina this is a, a character who works closely alongside Redora um, she uses and abuses her um, and Redora is this character that doesn't seem to have much good going on in her life her, her partner Ricky's been cheating on her um, and realistically, she's the one that sets off this chain of events. She's the one that finds this dead body. She's the one that finds the artwork that's been left behind. I'm, I'm torn on this one because the performance in this one I thought was probably the worst in the film. I thought that the overacting, the emotional scenes that you're supposed to build empathy for this character gave me so little because it just seemed over the top and and I just couldn't connect with this character. Um, yeah, especially with you know the crying, being angry, it just made me feel awkward. Um, and I think possibly that's because of the cast surrounding, um, and they're so good in what they do. And I mentioned before Pierre, he's this aged sort of artist played by John Malkovich. He's obviously had his ups and downs in the art world. He's dealt with addiction, and, and he's at this stage in his career where 
you know, he sees his own work as, as him copying himself. He's not doing anything original. And, you know, others can say, no, no, this is your canon. This is this is your style. This is what you look like. But realistically, he just wants to create. And, and it's really nice to see that they do put someone in here that in the art world, that's not necessarily just a really negative character. Um, last part, I'll talk, last character is Gretchen, um, played by Tony Collette. Just a minimal side character that I think they're like, how do we get Tony Collette in this film? Perfect, we'll, we'll put in this character and she can play that. I mentioned before Dan Gilroy as the director that I really, really love Nightcrawler. So if you haven't seen Nightcrawler, I highly recommend jumping out and seeing that. Also directed um, a film Roman J. Israel-esque with Denzel Washington. So um, check that out. Also, um, the up and coming film is called Faster, Cheaper, Better. No idea what it's about, but I'm looking forward to checking that out when it does come out. Also done a bit of writing. So obviously he's directed and written all these films. Wrote the Bourne Legacy film as well as um, the Kong Skull Island film too. So um, some, some good piece of work. Not an awful lot of work that we've seen Dan Gilroy do. I just think to mention briefly, and this film is filmed in LA as well, as is Nightcrawler, if you've seen Nightcrawler. I think the way that he shoots LA is just phenomenal. Um, it just makes that city so vibrant and, and comes alive so much. And not so, like we do see a couple of really good scenes in Velvet Buzzsaw, but um, Nightcrawler does this even better. So um, yeah, <laughs> I'm probably giving this, this Nightcrawler a massive um, suggestion. So please do go and see it. But I will lead into some scenes from this one that we can talk about now. And um, the ones that are sort of stood out for me for this one. So the opening credits are, are really, really good. They have um, this black and white animation of all this artwork and, and it sets this tone for this film, just focusing on art. So that was really cool. <laughs> I can't go past a Jake Gyllenhaal scene where he's got no clothes on. <laughs> There's a scene where he's on his laptop, just lying on a couch, stark naked, gets up, walks around. Just, um, <laughs> I know in previous films, um, some naked scenes like in uh, Roma didn't really do much for me, but Jake Gyllenhaal, no clothes on, definitely a highlight for me. <laughs> uh, the deaths in this one were all all pretty good. I mean, they're, they're very obvious, but just to mention a few of the ones you know if, if i say some words i'm not giving them away but there's monkeys there's a light bulb there's graffiti and a tattoo and if, if you've seen the film my mention of those will probably just saying those single words will bring back memories of, of what that means uh the last thing that i liked in this one there's there's a scene where morph um is in this sound exhibit and he's going through this stage or this process where he knows something's not right with his artwork and, and he's hearing voices and and really struggling and stressing about the environment that all these people in the art world are going through and this exhibit hadn't even started so he runs off and um it just shows that this whole thing um is impacting him the most i guess um then compared to everyone else who can't get their minds away from the idea of making money off this artwork. Things that I didn't necessarily, the only thing that I'm, I'm going to sort of mention about that I didn't like, and it's the title. And I've, I've touched on it. I mean, then it, Velvet Buzzsaw is literally this band that, um, that Redora was in. She has a tattoo of it on her neck. So the title of the film is after this one character. Um, and the film's about much more than that. So I, I did mention all the, the titles we had before for international releases. I just think that there could have been more in this film than, than that title because this film is a lot more than just uh, Redora's character. So that's that's my little criticism of this one, I guess. And I'll lead into some um, some themes and some ideas. We've touched on these quite a bit, this whole idea of the of satire of the art world and the idea that you know nothing is original, no art is, is original. It all takes influence or inspiration from, from other pieces of work and they make, make there's you know there's heaps of heavy dialogue with these one-liners about art and 
they mentioned, you know, the best work is only enjoyed by a tiny few. And, and, and art is subjective, really. I mean, some people may love something, some people may not like it. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it's about this profit and this idea of greed too, because for a lot of the characters in this film, it's easy to talk about the money than the art. It's about how can I get my way in to make some money off this piece of work or off this artist. And the idea, rich people are impatient too. They just want a quick, quick buck. They just want to make money as quickly as possible and move on to the next um, artist or the next piece of work. Morals, I guess, are, are touched on too. You know, if, if you do bad things, or it's almost like karma, I guess. If you do something bad, some bad things may happen to you. And, and that's set up um, in the, the back end of this film quite well. What did I take away from this? I think that... I wanted this, there's this artist, um, Vertal Dees, who we get this glimpse of his life and through the character of Morph, he is looking into researching for this catalog that he's putting together of the work. And, you know, we see that he was in an orphanage, low income family, child protection involved, isolated, lived alone. But I sort of wanted some more, and I, I understand that you, they're asking on the audience to, to draw connections, but I wanted some definite answer as to why this artwork's haunted what in particular is the reason for it being haunted other than you know him having a bad life and and doing you know having being in psychiatric hospitals and things like that what, what's the specific crossover from him to this artwork um and someone you may have someone may have picked up or, or worked that out but I, don't, I just feel like i didn't get that um imdb did i jump onto imdb to check anyone out in this no i didn't but I needed to like in that opening scene I mentioned in my favorite scenes with the the intro with all the artwork and the animation. One of the the, the opening had this famous artwork of that scream that if I say that out loud, I'm sure you'd recognize it and have seen it. And I just wanted to see who the artist was because I was like, I've seen this piece of work. I know it's the scream. Who who created this piece of work? And um, Edvard Munch. I, it's a good trivia question, I guess, because I did not know that. Um, and he was a Norwegian, I think. And apparently this is classified as the second most famous image in art history um, behind the Mona Lisa. So good little trivia question. If you didn't know, that piece of work is created by Edvard Munch. Um, <laughs> I think I'm going to wrap this one up now. I've, I've spoken for a fair bit. So I think... I did rate this quite highly when I first watched it and when it came out. And I'm not sure if that was more because of this um, Gilroy, Russo, Gyllenhaal, Nightcrawler connection that I've, I've mentioned or because I liked it. And as I watched this, I was thinking, you know, maybe I'd overblown this film. Maybe I'd, I'd thought, you know, just because of these familiar faces, I really enjoyed it. But yet again, like as I started putting my thoughts down and reading and the memories of the film um, about when it came out, it, it's quite good. I, I know that a lot of the critics don't like it, but I found this quite good. I think that Hall is excellent as usual and he's really well supported in this. The, the horror elements aren't necessarily great, but the message um, is definitely in your face and I think that you can take something out of this one. So I'm giving it a four out of five, which is quite high. Um, as usual, we, we are on social media. We've got Facebook, we've got Twitter, we've got Instagram. We pop posts up, so feel free to give us a like, give us a follow, share with your mates um, and do subscribe to us as well on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Um, question I just wanted to ask is that, and this leads in from my thoughts, I guess, is what's the, what is, what can you identify as the one thing that led to this art being haunted? I'm really intrigued. I really want to know what, what do we know about this artist D's and, and why was this artwork, you know, what's the one reason? So if you've got an answer for that, feel free to hit us up on our socials and let me know. I'll be back again next week for another episode. And next week we have a, another 2019 film. It's a sports drama called High Flying Bird. This is directed by Steven Soderbergh. It stars Andre Holland, Zazie Beetz, Melvin Gregg, Zonia Zone, Zachary Quinto, Kyle McLaughlin, and Bill Duke. So looking forward to that one. And um, 
yeah, thanks for, for coming along on this ride with me and I will see you then.